I totally understand. What's the biggest game on Georgia's schedule every year? I can understand why he'd want to move it to his own backyard and play the game between the hedges. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is Thursday, July 28th. We really appreciate you being with us from wherever it is that you're getting the content, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, if it's on Spotify, or if it's on the ESPN YouTube channel. We really appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. And if you're on the YouTube channel, hit us up in the comments. Tell us where we can improve. The constructive criticism will make the show better. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. We have a great game plan in store for you today as we'll head out west. The Pac-12 Media Day is about to get underway. Just 24 hours from now, we'll visit with John Wilner, who's about as dialed into the Pac-12 as any source in college football. He has everything that you want to hear about the near future and the distance future of a league that is currently on very, very unsettling ground. We also will play a new game, which we're very excited to get to. It's called Guess Who Said It. So we'll start there. All right. I told you a new game that we're going to try We're going to see, and just so you know, uh, the video that you're going to see from the respective coach, player, commissioner, what have you, I have not seen that video. So you will have a little bit of a heads up in front of me when identifying who the actual person is. I also have not heard the audio, so I won't be able to recognize the voice. I'm simply getting a quote and then trying to decipher who said it based on the quote itself. So we're going to have a little fun. If I sound dumb, I apologize in advance. I'm not good at things like this. Which is exactly why we're doing them. So, Coobs, this is your game. Lead us off, my friend. All right. This is a, this is a good one. We're going to try this out, all right? First quote, I think sometimes we lose sight about just how young our players are and just how recently they maybe are in the backyard catching a pass or playing in the street playing touch football. It goes by quickly for those guys. Guess who said it? Okay, this is a very difficult one because I obviously read all the quotes and I interpreted all the narratives about the coaches over the last couple of weeks. And the one that received the most, I don't want to say criticism, but people seemed to push back against some of the ideals that he had was Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. So I'm going to guess that it's Kirk Ferentz that was concerned with just how fast the world's moving, given some of the criticisms that people had about his media day on uh, Rendezvous. That is correct. And I promise Whoa. you people, he does not know who this was. This, that was very good. That was very, very good. Impressive. Here's what he said. I think sometimes we lose sight about uh, you know just how, how young our players are and just how recently they were uh, maybe in the backyard catching a pass or out playing in the street, playing touch football. So, uh, you know, it goes quickly for those guys. All right, McElroy, you heard Kirk there. Um, question, though, is all the changes and in, in, in how fast things are moving for players, is it taking the fun out of the game for these young men? I think it's going to take the fun out as much as you want it to be taken out. Like if you want to explore possibilities via NIL and you're capable of separating the off-field experience from the on-field experience, the off-field experience might be really fun or it might be really miserable. But ultimately, when you lace them up every Saturday and you put on your shoulder pads and you go out to practice, you go out and play the game, you run out in front of a thousand, hundred thousand adoring fans. The game is fun. Now I will admit playing in the NFL for the brief period of time that I was up there, 
there was nothing fun about it because it was never about the game itself. It was always about everything else. It was always about security. It was always about, oh, I have this endorsement. I have that. It was always about the professionalization of the game. So while I think there are probably some truths coming out of what Kirk Ferentz said, I also think ultimately when you're on the field and you're with your teammates, I'm not getting under the center and thinking, oh man, I wonder how much money my center's making in NIL. I'm not looking out to my right at my Z receiver and thinking to myself, oh man, I wonder whether or not he has endorsement deals that I covet. Like everybody's the same when you walk in the huddle and that's ultimately still very fun and that's ultimately still very unchanged. Of course, the only thing that is changing there is the fact that I said huddle. <laughs> we don't see many of those anymore. Very good. Okay, the next one. There's been zero entitlement the entire offseason and now and none really in the foreseeable future. So life is good. Guess who said that? Oh, and zero entitlement. I'm going to say that that was Ohio State's Ryan Day. Mm, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. You get one more guess. Okay. I'm going to say Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. That is correct. And he's entitled to say that because he beat Ohio State. Here's what Jim Harbaugh has. I guess I'm still used to I'm still used to thinking about Ohio State ruling the world up there. That's right. Michigan is the defending Big Ten champ. There's been zero entitlement the entire offseason and now and none really in the foreseeable future. So uh, life is good. So life is good for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. But I want you to rank your power five conference champions based on probability of repeating. Ooh, that's a great one. Okay, Power Five Conference Champions in probability of repeating. So if you go through it, you got Michigan out of the out of the Big Ten. You got Utah out of the Pac-12. Alabama out of the SEC, which is kind of still messes with my head a little bit because I have to differentiate between the national championship and the SEC championship. You have Pitt out of the ACC and out of the big 12, you have Baylor. I think the most likely to repeat right now is Alabama. Alabama brings back obviously the Heisman trophy winner, a great supporting cast, including the addition of a couple of guys via the transfer portal. I think at the big, at the SEC West in particular, right now, a lot of teams I'm having a difficult time kind of differentiating teams two through five, so I think it could kind of go any direction. But the one thing that I know for sure is that Bama is really well positioned to defend their title in the SEC. Georgia will be excellent and will probably be in Atlanta as at worst 11-1. But I still think that Bama at this point has more knowns than unknowns, which is why I'm going to pick them as the most likely to win their conference yet again. I think number two is Utah. Now, people are looking at the Pac-12 and saying, well, SC is coming. I'm not sure they're there yet. I think they look at Oregon and Oregon actually has a lot of really nice pieces, but have a few things they got to figure out as far as their offense is concerned. They should be good at quarterback. I think Bo Nix will be just fine. Should have decent weapons on the perimeter. We'll have to replace die, which is a tough loss knowing that he's now transferred to USC and he did so much for him in the run game last year. So I do think Utah right now is in a great position to defend with what they bring back and the, and the, kind of foundation that they've built over the last couple of years. The third most likely to repeat, I'm going to probably go and say Michigan. That might surprise most of you. 
Part of the reason why is that I think Michigan's the second best team in the Big Ten still. Now, I have faith that Wisconsin's getting better. I have faith that Minnesota will likely be better. I think Nebraska might make a huge leap out of the West, but I still think it's a two-horse, possibly a three-horse race in the Big Ten. All three of those teams are coming out of the East. I think Ohio State's clearly the team to beat. Michigan would probably be number two. Number three, take your pick. You can go either Penn State or Michigan State. I lean slightly in favor of Michigan State, just with what they've added in the portal and the type of talent that they bring back at quarterback and at wide receiver with Thorne and and obviously what Jaden Reed, uh, Reed did last year as well at wide receiver. So I lean slightly in favor of Michigan State, but I could definitely see Penn State getting hot, staying healthy, and making a run there in the Big Ten East as well. So I would say that that Michigan would be third ahead of Pitt, who I would have next. Pitt, I think, is is a, a team that just lost their starting quarterback, Kenny Pickett. They lost Jordan Addison. Pat Narduzzi goes to ACC Media Days, goes scorched earth on everybody, said they didn't run the ball enough, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. They won the league. It was a pretty dang good performance last time I checked. But I just wonder, I think Clemson bounces back this year, and I'm very bullish on on what Clemson could potentially be with. They could stay healthy along the front. If DJ Uyungle, who's lighter, who should be more agile, who should have a more confident approach to the position this year, and he was a little banged up at times last year, I think they've also found who they are. They're going to run the football through Will Shipley. So I think Clemson wins the ACC this year, which is why I would have Pitt as a returning champion at four. And number five, I have Baylor. And, a lot, and Baylor right now is the media's pick to repeat in the Big 12. Now, there's a lot that I like about Baylor. I think both lines of scrimmage are rock solid, but I do need to see some guys emerge in key positions that really did an awful lot for him last year. How do you replace Petrie? How do you replace Terrell Bernard? How do you replace Abe Smith? There's a lot of pieces that need to be replaced off Baylor's team, and I think the rest of the Big 12 is going to bounce back in a big way. I think Texas is a player. I think Oklahoma's a player. I think Oklahoma State's not going anywhere. So I think it's a deeper field. There might be more parity in the Big 12, which is why I would have Baylor sitting at number five. So I guess we go through it again. Bama one, I think they're most likely. Two would be Utah. Three would be Michigan. Four would be Pitt. Five would be Baylor. Nice. Why do you hate Baylor so much? Man, all they do is win. I don't hate Baylor. I don't hate (laughs) Baylor at all. I think they're great. I just think there's parity in the Big 12. And I wouldn't be shocked this year if the Big 12 champion was nine and three in the regular season. I wouldn't be. I just think there's that. I think the playing field's that level. Uh, And if someone gets hot, you find a quarterback, you have a playmaker emerge, a defense steps up, they become opportunistic, turn some turnovers over and... Next thing you know, it's it's anybody's guess. But Baylor was a little bit flawed at times last year. Still found a way to win the league. But Oklahoma State turned it over four times in the Big 12 championship game. So they probably should have won the league. So uh, I don't know. I think the Big 12 is wide open. It's going to be a fun league to watch. All right. Last one here. Why is it one of the best environments? Who said that? Why is it one of the best environments? I, I wouldn't even be able to begin to guess. I'm assuming. You're looking for a lifeline? I am looking for a lifeline badly, like grasping at straws here. Okay, it's it was said at SEC Media Days, but not on the podium. <laughs> Why well, is mean, it one of the best environments? There's no context there. Um, so I'm going to say Jimbo Fisher. That is incorrect. You get one more guess. Why is it one of the best environments? I'm going to say Mike Leach at Mississippi State. It was, in fact, Kirby Smart. 
talking to Tim Tebow about the Florida-Georgia game. Take it, Kirby. But it's literally one of the best environments. How come you want to switch it up? Why is it one of the best environments? I was sitting three feet from Kirby. I should have remembered that. If you look at the, I'm sitting, and my elbow is touching Kirby there, and Kirby was all frustrated about the fact that they never get that home game against Florida, and he loses a key weekend in recruiting, which I can totally get on board with. I totally understand. What's the biggest game on Georgia's schedule every year? More often than not, it's that it's that Florida game. And being unable to host recruits at that game, I think, is a bit of a challenge for Georgia. We can talk about that at a later date. They've still done pretty well on the recruiting trail. But uh, I can understand why he'd want to move it to his own backyard and play the game between the hedges. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, Nelly. Whoa, Nelly. Because Georgia has had the number one recruiting class a handful of times. I don't think it's really hurting his recruiting. But I understand if he wants that home game. I want to ask a broader question. But hang on a second. Whoa, Nelly to you. All right, here's my thing. If you're just, are you just going to look at the scoreboard and you're going to get complacent? Is what you're telling me, Cubes? That's what you want to do? You want to get complacent here? Oh, you, uh, you've won uh, the recruiting title how many times now? Oh, so you want me to rest on my laurels? Come on, Cubes. He doesn't need the Georgia-Florida game in Athens to, to get the number one recruiting class. That's all I'm saying. I mean, if, if that's going to get him over the top and get him a, a class better than Jimbo Fisher had last year, okay. But I just don't see how one game at your house is going to do that. But I, listen, we can go on about this, but I wanted to ask a broader topic on this. Are neutral site games hurting college football? And should they kind of go back to a home and home? Should they change it oh. up? Well, we're slowly starting to get away from the neutral site model. It was very popular, and it started, what, 2007 or 2008 in that vicinity, maybe even slightly earlier than that. Uh, we played in a handful of them. Uh, we played Clemson. We played Virginia Tech, both of which were in Atlanta. Uh they were good experiences for us as players because you got to play a big opponent in a cool NFL venue. And that was something that we always looked forward to as a team. Plus it was in week one. So it always forced us to be at our best early or else we ran the risk of potentially getting exposed. So I always enjoyed playing in games like that, but I also had the chance to play against Penn state at home. And that still to this day was one of my favorite games that I ever participated in because it was so cool to have a team from outside the footprint come to our building and I don't want to say, you know, show them around like, Hey, check it out. But it was just neat to have that experience. I know talking to teammates that went to happy Valley the year after I graduated, that was a great experience for them as well. So I think the home game and the home and home is the future for college football. Look, we've all seen it. Attendance is not, it's slightly regressing on a year to year basis. So what are, programs being forced to do. They're being forced to improve their home schedule in an effort to boost season tickets. And in an effort to do that, how do you get more people to the stands, to more people to the stadium? By providing compelling matchups. And I think times like when Bama goes to play Texas or when Notre Dame plays Georgia or when Oregon plays Ohio State, those are advantageous for college football because those are unique matchups. And as a fan of the sport, it's cool to go see different parts of the country. I'm fortunate in my industry to be able to travel to every nook and cranny of our country to see stadiums from all over the place. I have that luxury. I've been to Pullman. I've been to Boone. I've been to Phoenix. I've been to Tempe. I've been to Tucson. I've been to Austin. 
You know, I've been to uh, Montgomery at the Crampton Bowl, where I called North Carolina A and T. Like I've gotten to see some really cool venues. And without ESPN, I would never have had that opportunity. So luckily for me, I've seen that. But I want all college football fans to have that chance to experience a unique road environment. Get outside your comfort zone. Go play in a different climate. Go play in a different region of the country. And I promise you'll enjoy and pick up on some things that maybe you didn't even know you liked. So I love the idea of the neutral site for what it was. It provided a significant boost to a lot of different programs, and it got 50-50, stand, 50-50 attendance as far as how you diversify the tickets. But ultimately, the best environments are in the home stadium. So I'm glad that we're now mixing that back into the, into the conversation for some of these teams early in their non-conference schedule. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And we're so happy to be joined by, I think, a guy that might be as dialed into the landscape as anybody in his respective region of the country. He's John Wilner of the Mercury News out in San Jose, California. John, what's going on, my friend? How are you, Greg? Thanks for having me. Uh, I have been covering you for years, well, covering you, I guess, uh, <laughs> following you for years and watching just how many scoops you're able to pick up. And I think no bigger than what's happened with the Pac-12 the last couple weeks and with what's coming on this week at the Pac-12 Media Day. What should we anticipate George Klyovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, what should we anticipate hearing from him? Well, the biggest thing is I don't think you're going to hear any big news, right? I, I don't think they're going to announce expansion. They're going to announce any mergers. They're not going to announce any media rights deals. It's too early in the whole process. You know, there could be uh, something of substance that develops in early August when their exclusive negotiating window comes to a close. But this, uh, this process could very well take many months. Sure. So 
my guess is that most of what he's going to say is going to involve context and perspective, uh, not only on the the current state of the conference, you know, and USC and UCLA leaving, but also kind of on all the broader forces that are at work here shaping college football and that are, you know, really the next two, three years are going to be uh, a whirlwind with that stuff. And I, I think he'll address a lot of those those issues. What's being done? Uh, you heard rumblings coming down all, all the way from Governor Gavin Newsom in California saying that they're going to get together and see what they can potentially do to block UCLA's pending exit for the Big Ten. What's the status of that at this point? Well, I don't think that they can legally stop UCLA from doing it based on California education law. But what they could do, uh, and it's more the University of California regents, which oversee the 10 campuses that include UCLA and Cal, they could kind of uh, slap UCLA with some kind of financial penalty, right? And force them to subsidize Cal for money that Cal's losing by UCLA making this move. Mm. If UC, UCLA is already in $100 million of debt. Right, their athletic department over the course of the last five years or so has rung up nine figures of debt, and they're looking at the Big Ten as uh, you know get out of the red card basically. If right. they also have to subsidize Cal uh, for a significant amount each year, that's going to limit their flexibility on on how they can use that Big Ten revenue for resources. And then all of a sudden, if you're coming into the Big Ten and you're you know, you don't have much flexibility, then you're a little bit like Rutgers in Maryland. Yeah. More similar than they'd like to assume, even though I do think they're poised to have a really nice season this year. I, and we can talk about the field a little bit later, but right now I want to kind of focus exclusively on media days. And knowing that there are some forces at play, what kind of reception can we anticipate for USC and UCLA when they arrive for media days? Well, they're going to be uh, – I mean, Lincoln Riley is going to be basically the most wanted man. He would have been perhaps the most wanted man in, at the event before this. Uh, you know, I, the coaches are going to get a bunch of questions. The players are going to get a bunch of questions. There's going to be two players for each each school, including Caleb Williams. Um, but, you know, I don't think that – the I don't envision the conference or the other coaches uh, taking shots at the two schools necessarily – I don't think that they want to involve the athletes who are basically innocent in this whole thing, you know, and, and you know, get them involved in having to deal with with uh, criticism from other schools. My guess is that they're going to take the highest road possible with with USC and UCLA. And then they should. It's not the player's fault. And it's not like no. it's not like Lincoln Riley was out there saying, hey, you know, hey, Kevin Warren, yeah, you want to you want to invite us? Like, I mean, the people that will be there representing the schools had nothing to do with it. So I hope that they don't turn the vitriol exclusively in their direction. Um, you referenced the fact that the Pac-12 probably won't have an announcement, understandably so. But are, do they give up a similar message to what the Big 12 used a year ago as we're a united front? We have options. We can go from here. If you were George Klyovkov, what message would you like to leave everybody with at Media Days? Oh, I mean, he needs to be pretty uh, bold and project an air of confidence in the you know future stability and prosperity of the league, right? I mean, Brett Yormark was pretty overt when he said uh, Big 12's open for business right. uh, a week or two ago, and, and now Kevin Warren was, you know, 
he had, was pretty confident too <laughs> in, in talking this week about Big Ten not being done with expansion perhaps. So yeah, the Pac-12 has got to uh, they they were the last conference to have their media days, and, and so there's been, you know, they have a lot they can respond to, and I think they need to be pretty bold, and and uh, and that's not just the commissioner; it's the co- it's the coaches, any athletic directors that are going to be there. You know, the best thing they can do is is try to make the case for stability and make the case that they are going to be aggressive out in the marketplace. Where where does Washington and Oregon stand right now? I mean, they are, I mean, after all, they're the two programs that have been to the playoff from the Pac-12 since its inception. And yet here they are twisting in the wind in the midst of what appears to be chaos. So from those two universities' perspectives, where do you think they currently stand? Well, I think they would love to get invitations from the Big Ten, right? I mean, is that realistic, really, though, John? They, is that, I mean, is that a realistic possibility in the near term? Well, I don't think it's realistic now. Yeah. And, and you know, this is gets us to a, a broader point here. It seems like everything starts with Notre Dame, right? No, absolutely. The Big 12 hasn't yet announced. They're in the middle of their media negotiations, but they haven't finished it. So until those books are closed, I think that – Everybody still feels like there's hope. Oregon and Washington still feel male. Maybe there's hope that we can get in right now. But much more realistic is that the Big Ten finishes its negotiations and moves on. And then in a year or two, they go after Notre Dame, right? Because that NBC contract ends with the 25 season. So they go after Notre Dame. And then if Notre Dame's willing to join, then maybe they explore uh, another raid of the West Coast. But I don't think Oregon and Washington – have an option and Stanford too have an option in front of them right now. It, they got to just hunker down and kind of hope for the best, uh, you know, with the coming into the Big Ten as a partner with Notre Dame in a couple of years. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. Obviously, Notre Dame so much hinges uh, on them. When you look at, and you had a fascinating article, I would encourage everybody to go check it out. It's the Pac 12 Survival Guide. And I, I just thought it was tremendous. And you've just given different options and things they can do to be proactive. And you actually referenced the Pac-12 network, which a lot of us have viewed as an anchor to the Pac-12 success. You actually viewed it in a slightly different perspective because of the technology that's involved to help our listeners understand exactly what the Pac-12 has at their disposal that might actually be valuable to a television network down the road. Well, they have the infrastructure in place uh, where the, you know they can, they could go broadcast. Uh, just pick a game: Colorado UCLA football game at the Rose Bowl, without having to send a TV truck there, because they got a little mini fridge, basically mini fridge size uh, transmission box, and they connect all their camera cables to that transmission box, and they send it back to San Francisco. And the producer and the director are in San Francisco, so it is a very efficient, co- it's a very cost efficient way to do it. Uh, they have the infrastructure, I think, that ESPN might be interested in, right? And and kind of the basis for that article is don't discount the possibility that there's going to be some kind of media partnership between the ACC network and the Pac-12 network with ESPN as the you know as the overlord, right? right? Because the Pac-12 network has got the infrastructure that would not take a build out on ESPN's part. They could just merge the two networks, create more value for the ACC schools without opening their grant of rights agreement, 
and provide some stability for for the Pac-12. Uh, so it, you know the Pac-12 network has been uh, kind of a disaster in terms of distribution. Everybody knows that. But from an infrastructure standpoint and the technology, it is very, very good. It, it does seem, and is that proprietary technology? Is that is that something that Stanford, you know, came up with and they just let the Pac-12 use? Like, what's what's the deal there? I don't honestly know if it's proprietary, to be honest. But but it certainly is a ready-made situation. Sure. If ESPN decided that they wanted to. You know, merge the Pac-12 network and the ACC network. I mean, ACC schools spent what five, ten million building on-campus uh, production studios. You don't have to do that in the right. Pac-12 because everybody's got that transmission box. So uh, I, it seems like that is a, a, a an end game that should not be discounted with the two conferences having their media networks merge. Knowing where the Pac-12 currently is and and where it was just a decade ago, we had Mac Brown on the show probably 10 episodes ago or so, John. And he said, we all, when we thought we were joining the PAC 12, like I started actually looking at recruiting landscape as the head coach at Texas and how I was going to recruit the West coast, meaning it essentially was in position to become as strong as anyone. And yet Larry Scott and the leadership at B kind of fumbled right there using a football term. So how many people on the West Coast actually blame Larry Scott for the Pac-12's current circumstances? Everybody. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everybody. And I don't think it's entirely fair. I, I think that, you know, ultimately the presidents and chancellors of the schools are to blame because they approve Scott's media policies, some of which were very misguided. They uh, approve the expenditures. They didn't invest in football you know, it starts at the top, right? And and the presidents and chancellors were at the top. Certainly, Scott uh, had some serious mistakes, uh, a number of serious mistakes that cost the Pac-12 uh, revenue and set the stage for USC and UCLA leaving the conference. Uh, so I, I think you have to, you know, you have to divide up the blame. But but certainly, the presidents can't be. Uh, you know, they, they should not escape. It. It's no just so much easier that. to pin it on one person as opposed to 12, right? It's just, <laughs> it is. It is. No, there's no doubt. And, and and the other thing, too, is, I mean, let's face it, 2009-10, where, where's the conference competitively? USC's coming off that incredible right. run, and uh, Stanford, and, Stanford and Oregon are about to, you know, enter the national stage. Right now, I mean, USC's been mediocre, right? Right. I mean, well, how where would the Big Ten be if, if Ohio State had been mediocre for a decade? Right. So that certainly has had some impact. No, on there, the there's it, honestly you're gauged and judged by what your teams do at the top. And frankly, when SC has been down, the conference is perceived to be down fair or unfair. I'll get you out of here with this, because like I said, I don't think there's anyone that's more well sourced within their network than you. Ultimately, where do you think the Pac-12 is five years from now? Five years from now. So, that, I mean, the timeline is important, right? Because that is the next – that's playoff expansion. That is Notre Dame being a free agent uh, potentially. I kind of think we're going to be at, you know, basically two tiers in, in division of major college football, right? And the SEC and, and Big Ten are going to each have 20 to 24 schools. And then you're going to have some kind of – huge conference with you know that encompasses 
50 or 60 schools and is broken up into divisions. I, I think we're going to see that bifurcation. Uh, originally, I thought it was not going to be till the 2030s, but everything is sped up, right? So uh, I could easily see basically the two two super conferences at the SEC and the Big Ten and then everybody else on the yeah, Tremendous tier. stuff. And that, that super conference would have, you know, Oregon and right, Washington right. and Stanford and whoever else, you know, would be part of the Big Ten right. in that scenario, just as some of the ACC schools would be part of Florida, a part of the SEC. Yeah, and it's, I think we all kind of see that coming. It's just how quickly do we get there? So, John, I, just yep. phenomenal stuff. We really right. appreciate the insight and we look forward to visiting again very soon. Thanks a ton for having me, Greg. And what a great show today. I really appreciate all of you guys being with us. It's been a fun, fun discussion about what's going on on the West Coast, what might be said during Pac-12 Media Day. And of course, I think the guess who said it was a hit. That was, that was a lot of fun. So we look forward to revisiting that topic again here at some point in the near future. For all of you guys that are joining us, wherever it is you're getting us, please like, rate, and subscribe, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or here on the ESPN YouTube channel. Every single time you like it, every single time you subscribe, it helps us out. It helps out the show. And hit us up in the comments, too. Tell us where we can improve. We want to cater the show to you. Hit us up on our Gmail account, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. I've already had some interaction with a lot of you guys. We really appreciate you sending in mailbag questions. That's been great to interact, and we look forward to continuing to do so. And on Twitter, and on social media, Instagram as well, at AlwaysCFB. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.